So uh, this is the 10th week of our Galatians series, and uh, Steve earlier spoke to the teachers in the room, and uh, you just saw all these verses on freedom. Uh, So allow me a a, a minute to to talk to the parents in the room. Freedom is near. (laughs) School starts this week. It's so funny, like we gotta pray for the teachers, like, oh, they're like, it's like the, like the death march back to school, but the parents are like celebrating, like it's about time. <laughs> it means, I, don't, I get that it means school shopping and it means like buying new school clothes. I had to take out a second mortgage because of the dress code at uh, Decatur High School that I had to like buy a whole new wardrobe for my son uh, who's a freshman this year. I get that, I get that it means like expensive and it means like some inconvenience, it means the end of summer, but it also means that I get to send my kids out of my house for almost seven hours every day. It's amazing. I won't have to mediate all these bickering little squabbly fights that go on all summer long every single day, day after day. I, I get that that territory comes with being a parent, but that doesn't make it any more like hooray, right? I saw a thing on Facebook last week that said, in June, parents are busy planning summer vacations and trips to the library and to the zoo and other educational outings. By July, we've decided that Netflix is the parent now. <laughs> that's like, my, that's my life. That's, that's true to my story, right? We were never designed to live in perpetual conflict with the people around us, but that's kind of the deal with parenting. That's like what parenting feels like sometimes. It's just like constant conflict all day long, all the time. For parents... The struggle is real, right? Now, I've learned to be creative in the way that I deal with conflict resolution with my kids, but it's still good to listen to advice from other parents from time to time. And so I decided to seek out some advice from parents this week, and there's no better place to find that than Twitter. Uh, So I turned to Twitter for some parenting advice, and I found some tips that I thought that I would share with you this morning. So uh, Twitter tips on parenting. Here we go. When your kid says, hold this for me, they literally mean hold this forever, and they will not forget. Make sure you buy your toddler a watch so you can get updates on the time exactly every two minutes. Telling your three-year-old that dried up markers are a first world problem will not stop her from crying. <laughs> this is my, I like this one. No good ever comes from a toddler sitting naked on a couch. That's true. I've lived that. If your two-year-old calls you in from another room to tell you that she is not poopy, there's a 100% chance that she's lying to you. (laughs) When a child says they put something away, they mean it's hidden somewhere within a 30-foot radius. Good luck finding it. And I like this one maybe the best. This is a real dad thing to do. Take your kids to the pumpkin patch. Let them pick out any pumpkin they want, but make them carry it to the car they'll never ask to go again. <laughs> I love that, right? And as hard as it is sometimes to, to, to parent, as hard as the struggle is, it's, it's really nothing compared to the struggle that Paul talks about in our text this morning, this inner struggle that we all have over right and wrong. Uh, 
Um, it's the struggle that, that everyone kind of picks up on this. Everyone kind of inherently understands whether, whether they follow Jesus or not, that there's kind of this inner conflict waging war inside of us all, right? It's the, the light and dark sides of the force. It's the cartoon angel and the cartoon devil on your shoulder, like each trying to get you to do things their way. Uh, it's that annoying cricket that keeps uh, telling us that we, we should let our conscience be our guide. It's, it's those things, right? That, and, and culture has always identified this inner struggle uh, that we go through. Uh, and that's what Paul talks about in our text this morning, this inner struggle. And we've been studying the book of Galatians all summer long, and throughout the summer we've learned that Paul wrote this letter to a church that was dealing with a lot of conflict, um, the, the Galatians were worried about how they would be able to resist the urge to sin. They were legitimately trying to, to live God's way, to live a Christian lifestyle. And there's a, a group uh, called the Judaizers, and they were advocating a return to the Old Testament law of Moses as the answer. That the only way that you can live a moral life was to have this checklist of laws. To say, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, and I can feel good about myself because I did all the right things. And Paul argues against that. Paul argues that no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Paul argues that the law can't actually do uh, what the Judaizers were insisting that it, it could do, uh, lead us to live a, a moral life before God. And, and the conflict in the book of Galatians comes to a head in the text this morning, in Galatians chapter 5. Right in the middle of the chapter, Steve left us off last week in verse 15. We're going to pick up in, in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. And Paul is laying out two options that we have in life in, in this passage. We can choose to live by the Spirit or we can choose to live by the flesh. It's one or the other. It's, it's, there's no other choice. We have two choices. So look with me uh, at Galatians chapter 5 and we're going to start in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. <laughs> but if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The, the conflict in the Galatian church over whether to follow the law had a deeper issue at its roots. Will you live by the flesh or will you live by the Spirit? And like most conflicts we find ourselves in, there's, there's more going on than what you see on the surface. There's almost always something deeper that's driving a conflict. Um, and so here it's this idea of flesh. And this is an interesting word in the Bible. Paul uses this, this word, and it's from the Greek word sarks. Um, and literally, most literally, the word means flesh. But if, if you uh, grew up in the church, uh, especially if you grew up reading the NIV, um, this is a little foreign to you. The NIV used to translate this word almost all the time as sinful nature. And, and, and the, the trouble is, it, 
it doesn't really land fully in either way. Like when we say, when I, when we say flesh, it's kind of misleading. It makes you think of like, like the meaty part of your body or maybe like sexual sin, like flesh is kind of a word that's come to be associated with that. But that's not really what Paul's driving at when he uses this word. He's driving at, the, the, you know, the reason the NIV has always used sinful nature is that he's driving at, at, at more like something like that, something that, that is kind of a, a proclivity towards sinning, a bent towards sinning, this habit that we have that we can't seem to shake uh, of, of sinning. Um, and so when Paul uses this word, uh, he's referring to a condition, a condition that's natural to people, a condition that every person from the very first person has dealt with in, in, in some way or another, right? And it's a condition where God and, and spiritual things are left out of the picture. It's this very, like, humanistic way of looking at the world. Sar- Sarks is the stuff that's exclusively human, Sarks is based only on our senses of what's real. Like, can I, can I touch it? Can I taste it? Can I feel it? It's, if, if, if I can do those things, it's real. Otherwise, not real. Sarks leaves God out of the picture. There's no spiritual. There's no God. It's just, just this life, right? So to live in the flesh is to be trapped in a situation where God and everything spiritual is left out. We throw all that stuff out the window, and then we try to live a life without it. That's, that's Sarks. That's, that's flesh, right? And so people that are in that situation live and think in a very narrowly human way. God doesn't really come into their thought process at all. Spiritual things doesn't come into the thought process. And so the way that they make decisions, the way that they make choices, the way that they decide what to do today and how to act doesn't involve God really at all. That's what it means to to live in the flesh. And the Galatians were living this way. The Galatians were starting to kind of be be swayed back towards this this flesh way of living. They, They were kind of trampling one another in their desire for control over each other um, and in their relationships. The flesh was winning in, in the Galatian church. And, and so Paul, Paul steps in with this truth in Galatians 5, that, that a life of freedom, because Galatians is all about freedom, this whole book is about freedom and how to use our freedom. A life of freedom is a struggle. A life of freedom is a struggle between spirit and flesh. See, if you're not struggling, if you're just full on bought into the flesh, then you're not actually living a life of freedom. You're not free at all. You're enslaved to sin. And, you, and you, you're not free to make your own choices. You just keep sinning willy-nilly regardless of what happens. But, but God, but Jesus has freed us. And now that we're free, there's a struggle. That's kind of the bad news. Now that we've been freed from having to sin, now there's a struggle about whether or not we're going to choose to sin or, or choose to live in a spirit. And we all face conflict. We, we're, we're familiar with conflict. We face conflict in our lives every day, right? Conflict in our marriage, conflict with our kids, conflict with our parents, in our friendships, at work, with our coworkers or with our boss, even between people and groups uh, in the church, which is shocking, I know, but uh, where there are people, there is conflict. And when you find yourself in the middle of conflict, Paul's message in this chapter is helpful. There's always something deeper. There's always something deeper than what you can see that's driving this conflict, that's fueling this conflict. There's this battle that's going on between uh, fleshy desires and spiritual desires, and this battle rages in all of us. The flesh and the spirit, they're opposites. You can't have a little bit of each. It's not like a buffet, right? If you live in the flesh, it means you're rejecting the spirit. If you live in the spirit, it means you're rejecting the flesh. It's, it's all or nothing. It's, it's one or the other. And we won't get anywhere in our conflicts with other people until we engage our deeper problem. 
our, our deeper problem of submitting to the Holy Spirit as our guide on whatever the issue is, whatever the thing is that's causing conflict. If, if we're living in the Spirit, we should want what the Holy Spirit wants. And when, when we all truly want what the Spirit wants, then the conflicts fade. If we all want what the Holy Spirit wants, then we're all pulling in the same direction. Conflicts fade, uh, and we're on the same page. So why doesn't that happen more often? Uh, especially in churches, right? We're, we're a spirit people. We're, we're you know, people of the book. We're uh, Christians who follow the Holy Spirit, and so we shouldn't have any conflicts. Um, right. I think it's because we're scared. I think it's because we're afraid to give up our power to make decisions. I think it's because we're afraid that if we don't influence this, something's going to go horribly wrong. I think it's because we don't like to surrender our control over decision-making to anyone else, even if it's the Holy Spirit. We don't like to give up control. And when we live by the Spirit, we willingly give things to God. And, and what the Spirit wants becomes more important to us than what we want. And let me tell you something. Our flesh hates it. The flesh, this old sin nature, this proclivity towards sin, hates when we give up control to God and do things God's way. Oh, it's the worst. So there's a war. There's a battle. And the battle goes on. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. I'll let you read it for yourselves later, but it's like the most confusing thing in the whole Bible. Paul's like, I want to do this, but I can't do this. I just do, keep doing what I hate, but I don't want to do what I hate, but what am I supposed to do? And, and so there's this whole battle, right, that is, is waging war within us. And living by the Spirit is a way of thinking. It's a, it's a mindset that puts God's will above my will. What God wants in my life is more important than what I want in my life. And I love, I love the way Romans 8 says it. Romans 8 says it this way. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Ooh. angels rejoice. <laughs> the flesh brings death, but the spirit brings life, right? 
if all, if all we fill our mind with is fleshy stuff, we only think and act in fleshy ways. I'm using that word on purpose, by the way, because it's a very awkward, uncomfortable word. Um, fleshy. As followers of Jesus, we've been freed from the prison of the flesh. We've been freed to, to choose a different influence in our lives. Because that's really what it is. We're choosing the influence. We're choosing the thing that's going to influence our decisions. Is it going to be the spirit or is it going to be the flesh? But too often, we go back to what's familiar, uh, which, is, which is the flesh. We go back to what we're used to. We go back to what feels good. So how can we know? How can we know whether we're living in the flesh or living in the spirit? Well, Paul, as he often does, gives us a couple of handy lists. Uh, if you go, we go back into Galatians chapter five, Paul gives us a couple of lists and it kind of is helpful to help us figure this out. Are we in the flesh? Are we in the spirit? And you need to know his lists aren't comprehensive. Uh, just because Paul lists nine fruits of the Spirit doesn't mean that those are the only things that the Spirit will ever produce in your life. There are other things that we know from Scripture that the Spirit produces in our lives, like holiness, uh, righteousness, justice, generosity. There's other things that the Spirit produces in our lives beyond just these nine. Uh, don't fall into the trap of the Galatians and, and look at these lists in like a legalistic checklist kind of a way. Um, these aren't comprehensive. Uh, he could have used other things. He could have included other things in his list of acts of the flesh, uh, but these are the things he chose to focus on with the Galatians. Uh, these are the things that were particularly relevant as he talked to what was going on in the Galatian church. Uh, and so he focused on these things. If, if Paul was talking to the Ephesian church, the list would have been different, uh, but, but maybe not hugely different, but by, by a little bit because Paul was good at context. Paul was good at uh, this is what the Galatians need to hear, so this is what we're going to we're going to deal with. Uh, and so we should use these lists, but not just le- these lists. We should, there's lots of lists in the Bible, uh, and we can use them to evaluate whether we're living to please the Spirit or whether we're living to please the flesh. So all that said, here's the list. Paul starts with the acts of the flesh in verse 19. There's sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So I don't know if you caught it, but Paul's list is divided into four sections. The NIV uses semicolons, uh, so it's kind of subtle, but it's divided by semicolons into kind of four sections uh, of of lists. And if you'll allow me, uh, I think that Paul did this on purpose because these sections kind of fall into categories. Um, So this, this first section, the first area is sexual sins. Uh, And and so Paul's making a point that that the flesh, sarks, the sinful nature, destroys intimacy with the people that we love. Uh, It leads us into sexual sin. Uh, The next area is is religious sins, that the flesh destroys our devotion to God. And the third area is social sins. The flesh destroys our unity and our fellowship with one another. This is where Paul lists the most issues, where we have to take, like, take a breath in the middle of the list to make it through. Uh, probably because this is what the Galatians struggled with the most, that they were struggling with this, this idea of social sins and all of the division in their church and all the unity issues that the Galatians were having. So Paul kind of expands on this, that the flesh is at fault for all these different things that, that, are, uh, that are killing you guys. And then the final list, I'm going to call, I couldn't come up with a good category for it, so I'm going to call it wild sins, right? The final list is wild sins, right, where, where uh, the flesh destroys our control of ourselves and our control over our actions. 
And here's the deal. If a person insists on living in the flesh, Paul says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty serious. If a person insists on living in the flesh. Now, listen, not if someone accidentally commits one of these sins. Because I think too often we have this like fire and brimstone and like, oh, you did that, you're going to hell. And like, well, yeah, sin separates us from God. I mean, I don't want to water that down. But Paul's not getting at like, if someone sins one time, like it's over. No kingdom of God for you. Paul's saying, if you devote your life to listening to the flesh as an influence versus living in the spirit, then this is what happens. That you won't inherit the kingdom of God. If a person in, insists on living in the flesh, they won't, they won't inherit it. Grace and forgiveness are gifts that God always gives to people who turn to him, to people who ask for it, to, to, to people who seek him out. He always gives grace and forgiveness, but God won't force your hand. God won't make a choice for you. If you insist on living by the flesh, God will let you, and it's going to end badly. Like, that's what Paul's getting at here. Like, if this is the way you insist on living, it's going to end badly. Like, there's, there's no real maybe or maybe it'll, no, it's not going to work out. It's going to end badly. And fortunately, because of that, there's a second list. Paul doesn't just like leave us hanging like, oh, too bad. There's a second list, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the list that like a lot of people are super familiar with. Um, and so it's kind of hard to preach sometimes. But the list is uh, love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance. And the NIV redid it, and it doesn't say patience anymore, which is the same thing. But kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I don't think it's an accident that Paul describes the flesh in terms of acts or works. He said these are the acts of the flesh. But the Spirit, is in, he describes it in terms of fruit. The, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come from our effort. The acts of the flesh do, but the fruit of the Spirit doesn't. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the work of the Spirit. The, the image of fruit is passive. Uh, it's the Spirit of God who produces these things. They, they grow in the life of the person who is open to living in the Spirit. The flesh destroys intimacy, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The flesh destroys our devotion to God, but the spirit grows faithfulness. The flesh destroys our unity and our fellowship with others, but the, the spirit grows patience and kindness and goodness in us. The, the flesh destroys our control over ourselves, but the spirit grows our self-control. And in the flesh, we're prone to, to hatred and jealousy, but in the spirit, we grow in joy and we grow in peace because life in the spirit isn't about trying harder or being better. That's the curse of living under the law. That was what the law did. The law was constantly, I gotta try harder, I gotta do better. I messed up today, I gotta do better, I gotta do better. And that's not what the fruit of the spirit is about. Life in the spirit is freedom of surrendering to God. We surrender, we surrender in the struggle. We surrender our control. Life in the Spirit isn't about my willpower. It's about consistently surrendering to God's will to live in the power of the Spirit. And I've heard people teach the fruit of the Spirit as if these are things that we all need to work on to please God. I've heard so many times, I've heard, I've heard people teach and preach this and go through each of the different nine and kind of explain, and there's nothing wrong with going through each of them, but explain how like, and, and the application is, you, we, need, we need to be more loving and we need to have more joy. You know, put a smile on your face as you go through your, your day. And, and that's just not what the Bible teaches. We can't grow this fruit on our own. 
It only comes from God. Have you ever tried to make fruit grow? I'm so bad at growing. I'm really good at growing weeds, I discovered. Although even weeds, since we haven't had rain in like forever, even the weeds aren't growing now. But like, I'm super bad at growing things. I can't do it. But even people are good at growing things. Have you ever tried to grow fruit like just on your own? Like you can't. You can't like yell at fruit and tell it to like grow and like it will respond to you. You need things, right? You need things that you can't control sometimes. You need water and soil and sunlight and time. Like you need things for things to grow and you have to kind of rely on those things. Like, like the farmers this year had like almost didn't get their crops in because all the rain we had in the spring. And it's like, oh, well, that's all the rain you get for the rest of the year. Sorry, right? And, and so like you have to rely on things that are out of your control to grow things, and when we try to produce these things on our own, when we, when we try to produce things like kindness or peace or self-control on our own, we end up with these twisted kind of sad imitations of the things God really wants for us. It's not, what, it's not really kindness or goodness. It's not what God wants. When we try to love without relying on the Spirit, we end up trying to fill our own emptiness instead of loving other people out of our fullness. When we try to have joy without relying on the Spirit, we end up chasing a feeling of happiness instead of being content in our God. When we try to be good without relying on the Spirit, we end up chasing all of these justice causes. We end up cause after cause after cause after cause instead of trusting God to bring justice in the world. Victory over the flesh doesn't come from trying harder and being better. It comes from submitting to the Spirit. So how? How do we do that? That's the, uh, the, 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 the crux of the issue. We, we all get that it's important. We all get from Paul's list, I'd rather submit to the Spirit than live in the flesh, but how? Easier said than done, right? How do we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and keep in step with the Spirit? Paul makes it sound so easy. Well, I think most importantly, we have to make it our priority to stay connected to Jesus, I know that sounds simple, but uh, Jesus sp- spends this whole part of John chapter 15 kind of laying out this, uh, this kind of parable, this word picture, uh, where he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches, not the other way around. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, not like that's not a command, right? If, if I remain in you and you in me, then you can go out and work really hard and be good at bearing fruit. He just says, no, that, that's what will happen. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So living in the spirit means taking Jesus at his word. Not trying to like read in or twist what he says there, believing that we can literally, we can't accomplish anything of consequence for God's kingdom on our own. Because we're so trained in, in our culture to value individualism. We're so trained to value a, a democratic process where majority rules. And we're so, we're so indoctrinated that it's super difficult for us to give up our voice in literally any decision. But that's exactly what it means to live in the spirit. It means I'm giving up my voice. I'm giving up my right to be heard. I'm giving up my influence, my control, my authority. I'm giving it up to God. And I'm going to let the Spirit make the call, not me. It means giving up my right to make decisions on my own and submitting to God's will instead. When my way and God's way are in conflict, it means I choose God's way. That's living in the Spirit. I want to buy a new car with the raise I just got at work, but God has something else in mind for the money. So who makes the call? The flesh or the Spirit? 
I want to retire and travel uh, and, and, and go for vacations, but God wants me on the mission field. So who makes the call, the flesh or the spirit? God's kingdom is not a democracy where majority rules. In God's kingdom, God rules. I don't. And that's what it means to live in the spirit. God rules, I don't. Living in the spirit means I submit to God's word. I sub- all of it. I submit to God's word. So many Christians act like the Holy Spirit is some mysterious, unknowable force. And, and to be fair, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the Holy Spirit in this book. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's unknowable. That's not really true. God's given us hundreds of pages of his own words to help us get to know him and to get to know his spirit better. So if you want to know how to live by the spirit, read the Bible. I know that's cliche, but it's true. Read the Bible. The Bible doesn't address every specific situation in our lives. There's lots of things the Bible doesn't talk about. It doesn't talk about carpet colors for churches or which political party to belong to. But the Bible does speak clearly against divisions. It speaks to the importance of unity in the church. And I think those things speak to the other issues. I think those things speak to issues of, of these other, maybe smaller things that we say, oh, the Bible doesn't say anything about that, so I can do anything I want. Living in the Spirit isn't about being perfect. It's about which things we allow to grow in our lives. And the Bible helps us identify which things are sinful and need to be cut out like weeds and which things are fruitful and need to be tended like a garden. Living in the Spirit also means choosing God's will over my will. And choosing God's will requires me to be a better listener. When we listen for God in our prayers, uh, when we listen for God in our interactions with other people, um, with, with other people who are also living by the Spirit, we're better able to catch the early warning signs that the flesh is kind of creeping back in and trying to be in charge again. We have to learn to be, uh, not just to read the Bible, but to be good listeners, to, to pay attention. And most of all, that's what it means. Most of all, living in the Spirit means paying attention. Paying attention to the struggle that's going on behind the scenes in your daily life. If your soul feels like a battlefield, it probably means that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in you. That's the good news. If you feel this struggle, if you feel this tension between like right and wrong, between the flesh and the spirit, it means you have the Holy Spirit. It means the spirit is working in you and active in you. A, a Christian, a Christ follower, it's is not a person who, who never experiences bad desires, never wants to do sinful things again. A Christian is a person who is at war with those sinful desires by the power of the Spirit. Someone who constantly gets up every morning, straps on the armor, and engages the fight. I'm not going to give in today. I'm going to live by the Spirit today. That's what it means. When the Spirit's at work in you, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in your life. If the fruit's missing, then you're not letting the Spirit take charge. That's a pretty clear indicator. I feel like that's one of the reasons Paul gives us this list. If the fruit's missing, then there's, there's something wrong. There ought to be more love and more joy and more peace in your life this year than there was last year. And I get it. Circumstances affect us. But just in general, as we're progressing in our growth towards, uh, towards God, towards Jesus, there ought, those things ought to be growing and not shrinking. 
You should be getting more kind and more gentle than you used to be. Your patience and your self-control should be growing and not fading. Goodness and faithfulness should be winning more than they're losing in your life. So if the fruit is missing, the flesh is probably winning. That's my like trite, like bumper sticker for the day, right? If the fruit is missing, the flesh is winning. And the good news is that there's a clear solution. Turn to God. Submit to living God's way. I promise the Spirit will come in and start cleaning house. You might not like that, but it'll happen. So the Spirit will come in and and clean house if, if you turn to God. The Spirit's presence always produces the fruit that God wants from us in our life. Always. But the Spirit doesn't do His work apart from our response. Galatians teaches that we're called to be free. We've been talking about this freedom for for a long time now, for two and a half months. We're called to be free. And you're free to indulge the flesh. God won't stop you. You're free to submit to the Spirit, but not both. In your freedom, you have to choose. Will I submit to the flesh and the sinful nature, or will I live by the Spirit? The choice is yours and mine. The choice belongs to each of us, and you do have to choose. Because if you don't choose, if you don't choose to engage the struggle, the flesh wins. That's been my experience. That's been the experience of almost everyone I've ever spoken to on, on these issues. If you don't choose to wake up and engage the struggle, flesh wins. You'll go back to your old ways. You'll go back to your old habits. You have to choose to engage the struggle and actively choose to submit to the Spirit. Let's pray. God, Thank you for your words. Thank you for, for hundreds of pages in the Bible that we can use to, to come closer to you, that we can use to know you, that we can use uh, to learn what it looks like to live your way, to submit to your will, uh, to live by the Spirit. And Father, I pray today for the strength to engage the battle. The strength to get up in the morning, strap on the armor, uh, and fight the fight. I pray that you'll help us to identify the things in our life that need to be pruned uh, so that you can do the pruning. Uh, God, I pray that uh, we, we live in such a way uh, that your spirit has access to everything. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the time when we take communion. And the deal is, we can't stop sinning on our own. We can't stop on our own power. And God doesn't expect us to. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, to oversee a lifelong process of becoming less fleshy and more spiritual. A process that ultimately culminates in eternal life. Eternal life in a spiritual body that no longer has any sin nature. No longer has a desire to sin. But that process is only possible through Jesus. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. It's not some abstract idea about our future. It starts the moment you accept Jesus as your savior and allow the Holy Spirit to start working in your life. Your eternal life starts then and continues on. So each week during this time of communion, we have this chance, we have this great opportunity to kind of take stock and examine ourselves. Is the flesh winning or is the spirit winning? What kind of fruit is growing in my life? 
is it the kind of fruit that God wants in my life? Or have I allowed uh, these other plants, these weeds to, to, to come in and take control? Where do I need to give the spirit more access to my life in order to do the pruning and weeding uh, and work that needs to be done so the fruit will grow properly? So as the trays are passed this morning, take a set of cups uh, and hold on to them until we can all take communion together.